Hi guys, I just wanted to hop on really quick before the episode and give a quick trigger slash content warning. Um, we talk quite a bit about ableism. We talk briefly about physical trauma via surgery. We chat about PTSD and anxiety, and then there's a brief mention of sexual assault. I also wanted to hop on here because at the end of this episode, Claire and I chat about um, basically putting a organization in the episode notes that people could support monetarily to um, just support the disabled community. And Claire and I talked off camera and she suggested um, the Triumph Foundation. So I wanted to just give a quick little description of what the Triumph Foundation is um, on their website, which I will link. It says Triumph's programs are primarily focused on people who have spinal cord injury slash disorder causing paralysis. However, many of our programs are open to any person dealing with disability, including family members. Our outreach supports children, adults, veterans, and people of all backgrounds. To date, the organization has touched the lives of over 8,000 individuals with disabilities, given over $1 million in assistance to people with inadequate medical insurance and financial hardship, performed dozens of accessible home remodels, provided wheelchair-accessible vehicles to 20 individuals who do not have the means to purchase one on their own, handed out over 2,000 care packs full of resources to the newly injured, and visited over 24 area hospitals and rehabilitation centers throughout Los Angeles, Orange, Ventura, Santa Barbara, San Bernardino, Riverside, Kern, and San Diego counties. Um, so I just want to give a quick little description of that. Um, I will obviously link their website. They have a donate button right in the top corner of their website. So if you are in a position where you can monetarily support that organization, it's a great organization to give to. And like we talk about at the end of this episode, a lot of the changes that we talk about, they have to have money behind them. They, they're not just going to happen. So that's a great organization to give to if you do have that money. Um, but yeah, other than that, I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a great one. Hi, all, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about disabilities with Claire Raymond of At Living with Clarity. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Um, it's been a day. Uh, Claire is currently, <laughs> we're video chatting, and I am in like full uh, hair towel wrap glasses, whole nine yards. Um, so, this is actually our second time recording this episode. So we are, um, if we're hopefully it'll, it'll probably just sound more natural and more comfortable if anything. Um, but I wanted to give you a little bit of a chance just to start off with, I think it'll be important to just for context to give a little bit of your background. And since this is just an audio recording and people can't see you kind of just explain what your story is, what your background is, and then why you started your page. Perfect. So my name is Claire. My pronouns are she, her, and I identify as a disabled queer woman. I am very specific with verbiage. I like um, identity first language. So I identify as a disabled person. So that is important for me to talk about that and say that first. So I originally started my Instagram page, funnily enough, as a page for me to follow other dog trainers because I just got my German Shepherd pup and she was a handful. So I wanted a separate page where I could just be like, okay, I need some advice. I'll hop onto this page, scroll through my curated feed. But then she failed out of service dog school. So I swiftly transferred into just naturally talking about mental health. I'm diagnosed with depression, 
um, was possibly misdiagnosed with anxiety because it has the same symptoms as POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. So I would get like a racing heartbeat uh, when I stood and uh, we were mistaking that as a panic attack. But I am also diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. So, you know, it just makes up for it. It's fine. So talking about mental health was super important for me to open that dialogue because I <laughs> because I felt really alone in my own life, not having anyone else talking about their mental health struggles. And the more I talked about that, the more it was reciprocated back to me. Um, I was born with tethered cord syndrome. So I had a blood vessel that was supposed to be enclosed in my spinal cord, but instead was just drifting out and doing its own thing. So I had my first major growth spurt in the fifth grade, and that's when my symptoms started. I didn't know I had it until that point, and I would wake up in the middle of the night with my legs unable to move, pulled up to my chest, and I had that blood vessel taken off, cut off, and I had a little bit of a tumor that was partially removed, and I had a 40% chance of having scar tissue grow in the place of that tumor on my spinal cord. And I've retethered over six times. I just like to, you know, fight the statistics and keep my doctor on his toes. So now I am what's considered an ambulatory wheelchair user because I am not paralyzed. So I can stand to transfer to my bed, stand to transfer into the bathroom. But anytime I put pressure on my legs or stretch my legs, it causes extreme pain because my spinal cord and nerves are all cemented in scar tissue. So I, now my page is about spreading awareness about that. You know, I get a lot of comments that are, oh, she's lazy. She's faking it. Look at her legs. I can see her feet moving. And I'm like, guys, Google tethered cord syndrome. Look at any of my posts about it and I'll give you the answers. What? Oh, are you kidding me? Oh yeah. Horrible. Oh, how ignorant. Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) I didn't, we had not talked about that. That's insane. I can't imagine like, oh, 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 that made my brain hurt. Um, that is so absurd. How silly to think that like just that so all people in wheelchairs have no ability to move whatsoever. Like mm-hmm. that's not how that works. There's also people who will be in wheelchairs who are recovering from surgeries or recovering yeah. from like where it's a temporary thing and it's not something that is a long-term solution to a problem. That's, that's, wow. That is so silly. Oh my goodness. That, and also how harmful and hurtful to see those comments. Um, that, sorry, that caught me off guard and also upset me. Um, for those who don't know what tethered means, could you give like a brief description of that? Like when you say I've re-tethered, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So that is the term that we like to use when scar tissue grows and around the spinal cord. So the spinal cord is supposed to be a free floating body part, I guess, part of your anatomy. Think of it like, like, um, like a piece of pasta cooking in water. It's supposed to just be floating, right? Right. Mine is like when you strain the pasta and that dried up piece sticks to the bottom of the pan. Like it should be free floating, but no, it's it's just stuck. So that causes a lot of pain, obviously, because the spinal cord is extremely sensitive. And I've just had to find a lot of different surgeries. And I'm pretty rare to be retethered this many times. 
So my traditional surgery to go in, remove scar tissue is no longer an option because obviously after six times of trying to do that, we're like, it's not going to work in the long run and it's causing damage. So I actually had my T12 vertebrae completely removed and I had my spine fused. Oh, I documented the whole thing because it is a newer surgery for tethered cord. And you can check that out. I have a link in my, I don't even remember filming it, which is the crazy part. It was like, I was watching my own story told by me because first of all, I was on so many medications that I couldn't remember it. And then second of all, trauma blocks out memory. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, Also, real quick caveat. I apologize. My dishwasher is running. So for everyone listening, I forgot to turn my dishwasher off. Sorry, you're going to hear weird water sounds. But today was a cleaning day, so we needed to do the dishes. It's soothing. Yeah, it kind of sounds like someone peeing, but it's not, I'm not peeing mid podcast. <laughs> My dishwasher is running. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I was literally great, great segue. Cause I was just going to say the PTSD, you've talked to me about the fact that the PTSD is j- like from just the physical and mental and emotional trauma of going through that many surgeries and like having that much chronic pain and just constantly having to heal from all these different like physical ailments. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it's very jarring because when most people talk about triggers with PTSD, it does involve like your everyday life, loud sounds, um, sudden movements. But for me, it's for the most part, isolated to the hospital can transfer outside. Like I always say, I'm the best judge of if a medical show is realistic or not. Because if it triggers me, it's realistic. And if it doesn't, then it's it's just very satirical. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I'm and sure the, that, that the one show, yeah, the one show I can't watch is The Good Doctor because they use actual machines, which has the actual beeping that I triggers me. Oh, how interesting. Okay. Yeah, no, that is interesting because that's not I mean, I guess all triggers are different and everyone's traumatic mm-hmm. experience can be different, but yeah, you um but yeah, I mean, I, I understand that to an extent. There are like, you know, even certain for me, like, you know, religion is like a huge trigger for me. So like if I'm like in a store and I don't know it's Christian owned and like worship music comes on, I'm like, oh, God, like get me out. Um, but yeah, no, that's very interesting. But and like you said, with trauma, like your memory is so fucked when you're going through trauma. And that's something that is not talked about very often. No. Which people kind of assume that when you talk about memory loss within trauma, they're assuming it's like brain trauma or like you go, you have like a traumatic brain injury. And like, you know what I mean? Like when people are like, Oh, I don't remember. Cause I had like this trauma. A lot of times uh, there's an assumption that it's like, Oh, you have like memory loss. And it's like, yes, but it's due to emotional trauma and like mm-hmm. stuff that's going on in my brain. It's not that I had like a physical brain injury, which that can obviously cause memory loss as well but I have like large chunks of my life that I'm like, couldn't tell you. (laughs) Like, I have no idea. I have little blips of things where I'm like, I know this happened. And like, yeah, I have this like one, you know, like, like little flashbulb memories where they really like stick out. But other than that, it's like, I couldn't tell you what my life was like on a day to day basis. Like if, you know, to save my life, if if someone was like, you know, you have to tell me, I, I, couldn't do it <laughs> high, high school what was that I don't know my friends will yeah. tell me all of these things that we did and I'm like couldn't isn't even that tell you. so weird yeah I have that too like for me it was like 
ninth and 10th grade. I think most women from what I've heard just really have a tough 10th grade year. Like all of us were just really struggling our sophomore year. But I like, I have like a few little flashbulb memories of like, and they're traumatic memories. They're not positive memories. They're like memories that were like very emotional and visceral. Other than that, I'm like, I couldn't even tell you like what I liked to wear or like who my friends were at that time or what boys I liked. Like, I have no idea. I like could look at photos and tell you like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But I'm like, I don't know. Stuff happened and I made it to my junior year and then I start remembering things again. (laughs) Like, so we did it. And like, Somehow I managed to keep a straight A average during that, which like go me because I was not mentally there. But like, other than that, I have my report cards and I have some photos. Oh my gosh, that's (laughs) wild. Yeah, for me too. um, Unfortunately, my depression did get to a point of being pretty severe and anxiety got pretty severe. So, which put all, obviously, like, the anxiety could have been the POTS all along. Like, when I stand, my blood pressure drops and my heart rate goes up. So, that's the feeling of a panic attack when your heart's racing and you feel like you can't catch your breath and everything's, like, feel shaky and dizzy. And so, I actually started getting on the medical, the medicine cocktail is what we like to call it, where they, one thing works but then causes this so then you start a medication for that then that causes this and you start a medication for that and before you know it you're on this cocktail of medication and I don't remember my senior year of high school because of that I don't remember it yeah yeah and that was and that was actually I was on a a very intense load of medication my sophomore year. And I, that probably actually, I didn't think about that. That probably contributed a lot to it. Medication can do a lot to your system and to your brain. Um, but yeah. And I, I'm interesting. I'm interested. Hello. Uh, with the anxiety aspect, because with your, with your feelings of anxiety, were your only feelings of anxiety, that kind of like panicky heart racing feeling, or would you also experience like just kind of general, like obsession over certain things and like overanalyzing, overthinking, like worrying, or was it just kind of generally like what you thought was anxiety was just these kind of like physical heart rate drops and like, you know, even the like lightheadedness that comes with that and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I, that was the same year I started developing, not the same year, it might've been two years before I started developing a really severe headache, which also goes with POTS. I went through many surgeries to try to treat this thinking it was a spinal cord leak was not a spinal cord leak, just went through unnecessary surgeries, trying to find it. So <laughs> I asked to my, my count of 13 plus surgeries because I had oh to stop feeling at some point. But yeah, I, I definitely did have moments of the feeling like I'm going to die feeling. Where like, mm-hmm. please call it. I told my parents, you need to call an ambulance. I feel like I'm going to die. So yeah. like that, that's anxiety, obviously, yes. But then when I would be sitting in class and I'd stand up to get something and sit down, it would start and I'd be like, shit, I'm having another anxiety attack out of nowhere. Oh. So then I would- So it wasn't as much like it wasn't mentally. It was just like you felt these physical signs that you had kind of taught yourself were anxiety and they were actually something totally separate. Yep. So I was prescribed Xanax and then I became a zombie because I was malnourished at that point because when you do have a lot of depression, but also- I have nausea from the pots, so I had yeah. a hard time getting a lot of nutrients in. And then I finally had a counselor sit me down and they're like, Claire and my parents, we 
first of all, we need to get her weight up. Right. Because how are we going to give a med- medication a shot to work if her body physically can't metabolize yeah. it? Well, Xanax, when you're not, even if you like don't eat enough that day, like mm-hmm. that's not a good, I'm on Xanax. I fuck with Xanax and, and, and in a very legal way. I don't mean that in like yes. a bad way. I mean, no, I have, yeah. I'm literally prescribed Xanax. Um, but yeah, no, you don't want to do that when you don't have any food yeah. in your system. That's yeah. not going to be well. Yeah. So we took me off of everything. And then just started from scratch. Like, okay, I first of all had a genetic test, which matches you with medication that works specifically with your body makeup, which is a privilege. I understand that. And I do hope in the future that will be a standard for getting prescribed medication. Because when you're just like shooting into the dark, like, let's try this one, let's try this one. Then you spend six months going through building up then withdrawals, building up then withdrawals over and over and over again. So we've took, we did the test. The first antidepressant that I took, I've been on it now for years and it's low dose. That's all I needed. That's all I needed. Did you have, so you had a good experience with the genetic testing then? Yes. Okay. I'm asked that's just for personal reasons. Cause I, that's actually yeah. something that I'm looking into cause they have no idea how to treat <laughs> And they're like, we couldn't tell you. And it's the same thing. It's, I stopped trying medications because I was like, I don't want to keep going on shit, feeling terrible, yeah. having side effects, then having to wean off of it. And then if I just drop off it too fast, now I'm having more side effects. Yes. And it was just like, I, I have to work. Like I have things I need to be doing right now. I don't have time to be feeling like have my like, you know, how I'm feeling be varying that much day to day because of the medication I'm on. I was just like, I would rather just not be on medication and like raw dog my anxiety. Um, which by the way, sorry, that's, I've been hearing that phrase a ton on Twitter recently and I, it's like my favorite phrase in the world right now. Um, I can't, it's hilarious and I'm obsessed with it. Um, anyways. Um, but yeah, no, I think that I'm trying to think where we should go from here. I think let's maybe start with verbiage because you mentioned that verbiage is something that you take very seriously and is very important to you. And, um, why don't we just start with some of the phrases or terms that are, I guess, misused and that people maybe, I know we talked before about, uh, kind of well-intentioned verbiage where people think that they're helping or think that they're being allies, like quote unquote. And it's like, it's almost like um, able-bodied individuals have like co-opted language, and it's that's the same thing with like you know white individuals co-opting how to address people oh, yeah. of color, or like neurotypical people co-opting. It's like people anytime that you are not in the group that you're talking about, a lot of times people are like, "Well, I know how to best address." this group of people or how to best talk for them instead of just letting them speak. Um, So what is some of the, I guess, misused verbiage and like, what is verbiage that even what is verbiage is like your favorite that like you really feel heard and seen and like valued when it's used. Absolutely. So this is all my personal opinion. Um, Obviously I was just talking to a friend who's writing an article about this Because some people do prefer to be called a person with a disability. Sometimes they are disabled later in life and they're like, you know, it's not a core part of my everyday life and hasn't been. So I do. Am I fine with this? But the majority of the disability community prefers to do identity first, which is saying disabled person, not 
person with a disability. And the big thing with that for me personally is that I had to go through a journey of accepting disability with myself because it was framed as something that was pitiful, something that was bad, something that was not desirable to have. But obviously it's not a choice. Like my spine did what it did and now I'm I'm where I'm at and I can't really change it. So I might as well start embracing it. So I do see right. a lot of um, person first language used by parents that do have disabled children saying like, no, my kid is not disabled as if that's a bad word and negative connotation. Then they'll say my yeah. kid is special needs or has a disability or has special abilities. Right. Meanwhile, disability is not a bad word. And under the ADA, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act, we fought to get disability heard and covered. Or I didn't fight. The people, the incredible people before me fought for it. Incredible. If you haven't seen Crip Camp on Netflix, it's incredible. It talks about the whole journey for that. Oh, I have not. Oh, it's it starts with this hippie camp. A bunch of hippies ran this camp for disabled kids. So they came from all over, had a summer where they were not treated like they were, quote unquote, like treated like they were disabled. They were just treated like teenagers and they had first kisses. They had first time having sex. They had parties. They had, you know, just finally were allowed to just let their guard down. So, you know, under the ADA, it's covered to protect people that have disabilities. It's not covered to protect people with special needs. It's the verbiage of it, I think. That's right. like, I, I'm disabled. I'm proud of it. I am. It's not something to be feared or shamed of. Like, I am disabled. And I do think able-bodied parents do view disability as like, obviously, my kid's different. And I don't want them to feel like they're different. So right. I'm really on my page on, no, empower your kids about disabilities, even if they don't have one. Here, I have a whole tab of books on my page that are children's books. Read your kids these books. Incorporate it into their everyday lives so that they don't go into the world one day and go, hey, mom, why is that man in a wheelchair over there? Like, they'll just know already. Right. And I, for one, I will link those books. And I'll also link that, um, what is it called? The movie? Crip Camp. Okay, yeah, I'll link that too. I'll link that in the episode notes. Um, I'm a huge sucker for children's books that are inclusive because I think it's broken down to such a simple level that I honestly think it's they're beneficial for everyone and like adults can read them and like kind of get the the gist of something and be like, oh, like this is broken down and it's kind of speaking to my inner child a little bit. And a lot of times it can be understood a lot better. Um But yeah, I think so often it's well-intentioned, which is why it's so hard because so often it really is well-intentioned. But like if, you know, if you're a parent of someone who is disabled, you you don't want your kid to feel different and you want your kid to fit in and you want your kid to feel normal or to feel like they're just a part of the group and it's fine. Mm -hmm. But like the more that you push that, it, it also does a disservice to the other kiddos in the classroom who aren't taught to, you know, speak about disabilities and normalize it and have conversations around it where it's just kind of turned into this hush hush topic of like, no one talks about it. Um, and it's interesting because even, you know, if you, if you go, if you're applying for a job and it asks you, yes, I have a disability. No, I have a disability. No, I don't have a disability. And it lists the disabilities. 
I have, I have like been so conditioned and taught that disability is this like really kind of icky word that like, I don't ever like want to like, and I legally do have a disability, like under the list of disabilities, I have multiple of them. And, uh, cause PTSD legally is uh, considered like a disability as is bipolar disorder, both of mm-hmm. which I have. And so I, um, I'll like go and I'm like, Oh, I don't want to. And just recently I started like finally being like, okay, yeah, like it's fine. It's fine. Like, it's fine. We're clicking it. It's fine. It's fine. And it doesn't make me like, you know, it's, we've just been so conditioned to even to, 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 you know, to shift it to special needs where then it's kind of cutesy and it's like, Oh, but they're special. It's like, well, let's just call it what it is and just normalize people just being, everyone has different things that they're going through their bodies are going through and it's not an icky thing it's not an awkward thing to talk about it doesn't need to be awkward um and once again like centering the people who are actually experiencing it that's who needs to be centered and i think that's the other point is that there isn't necessarily going to be a blanket term there are going to be people and this comes from in any demographic, there will be people who say, oh, that might be like the common uh, or the, what the majority feels, but I would prefer to be identified as this, or I would be preferred to be, you know, to, for you to use this verbiage. Yes. Literally just like, listen to the people that you're talking yes. about. <laughs> like, that's like the end of the, like, that's it. Just listen to people and like, just acknowledge that it's, it's their experience. It's their human experience that, you know, you might know something about, but compared to them, you know nothing about. And so like, just let acknowledge that it's their human experience. And this comes from even, there's a lot of verbiage around um, homelessness right now, around oh, shifting yes. to um, uh, houselessness or a person experiencing homelessness, which some people value so much and are like, mm-hmm. thank you for not identifying me as just some homeless guy. Like, thank you for acknowledging that I'm experiencing it right now. And it isn't my entire identity. Whereas other people are like, no, this is my identity and I have a community here and I love it. And so it's very much so person to person. And you kind of have to take a shot in the dark and use the verbiage that you have really done your research and hope that is appropriate. And then if someone corrects you, like, just be fucking humble and say, (laughs) sorry, like I, no, that's totally correct. Like I will use whatever verbiage you feel comfortable with me using. Just be very flexible in that and know that you're going to take a shot sometimes and try to use verbiage that you think is okay. And it might not be okay for that person. And that's okay too. And it's just being humble and being receptive and saying, my bad, I'm so sorry. Like Mm -hmm. I, that's what I thought was okay to use. But if you would like me to use this word instead, I totally respect that. And like, I value that that's your preference. Yeah. Um, It's a very personal journey too. Um, I know I had, I couldn't walk to my car anymore because it was too far in the school parking lot. So I had my handicap pass and I would be like, oh, I'm handy capable. I'm handy capable because even myself, I was taught that shame. Yeah. So it's like a personal journey. And going back to that, that verbiage, it makes me think of when parents don't call genitals by their real names. They'll say like a flower, oh a, God. I don't know, a loofah, a da-da-da-da-da-da. And then we grow up not knowing what oh. our parts even are. You have no idea. I want to be a sex educator. 
this yes. is like I could write a whole fucking like dissertation <laughs> on like this by itself because it's not even you're quite literally doing yourself and it's actually the same with all verbiage. Mm-hmm. When you try to sugarcoat something, you're not only doing a disservice to if you're talking about a community, you're doing a disservice to the community. But if you're talking yes. about specifics as well, like for instance, um, different uh, verbiage surrounding, you know, how you speak about someone who uses a wheelchair, how, like, I remember the last time that we spoke, I said wheelchair bound and you corrected me on that and said, that's actually not the correct verbiage to use. And so you're not only just like harming the community, but you're also just like depriving yourself of education honestly. And I'm not saying that as in like, if, if you, if you don't have the resources to learn, that's entirely different. If you have resources and you're choosing to sugarcoat things, you are intentionally like depriving yourself of education. And it's the same thing with like, everyone should be educated on what a 504 and an IEP is. That should not be something that like, I didn't know what that was until I was 21. That should have not happened. I should have known that way before that. Um, and with, with genitals, it (laughs) quite literally can harm it harms yourself. If you don't know what your own body parts are called, how the hell are you supposed to advocate for yourself in a medical context or in a sexual context? Or like, it is not helpful. It is not helpful. It is not helpful to find out at 19 or 20 that you're, you meet the whole time when you've been saying vagina, you met vulva. Yes. That's not helpful. Yes. That's yes. not a helpful thing. Like that is very hurt, harmful, hurtful. And actually really dangerous. It's really dangerous. It's also very dangerous. I'm, this is a soapbox, but sorry. (laughs) It's also very dangerous because if you're a kiddo, Mm -hmm. if there are any mothers listening, I don't think that's really my demographic, but if there's any mothers (laughs) listening, um, teach your kids the correct verbiage about their bodies. If you teach your kid that their vagina is called a hoo-ha and someone walks up to them and says, can I touch your vagina? And they don't know what that means. You are putting your child in danger. It's not cute. It's not fun. It is dangerous. And like it is, I could go on and, and that's different when you're an adult. I love to call my vagina a coochie. I think it's funny, (laughs) but if I'm talking in a medical context or I'm talking to a child or I'm trying to educate someone, I'm a nanny. That's why I say that. Like I Mm -hmm. am around children a lot. So if we're talking about, Oh, my bottom hurts. Oh, your vagina hurts. Yes. Okay, like let's let's go chat with mom and see if we can figure out a way to make it not hurt. And we got to be specific there. That's totally separate. But verbiage and words are important. important. And they've always yeah. yeah, they've always been important. That's not new. That's that's not new at all. <laughs> We've just chosen as a society to try to make things more comfortable and less awkward. And by doing that, you you sacrifice people's feelings. You sacrifice people feeling valued and feeling safe. You sacrifice safety in general and knowledge. You sacrifice a lot by trying to make yourself and others comfortable. Um, but to hop back on that verbiage train, what are some terms, some verbiage that people misuse, mislabel when they are referring to the disabled community? Um, it's definitely... Like I said, the special saying things like special abilities, um, special needs, like we talked about before, having education that is accommodating disabled kids is called a special ed teacher. And I never saw a problem with that until I was in the disability community and I was like, hold on, there's nothing special about getting education. You're making accommodations to help that child best learn in an environment that works for them. Yep. Yep. 
Nothing special about that. It shouldn't be special, at least. It shouldn't be, like, a privileged thing to get an education. It should be a human right. It's also not – as a teacher, you're the one of the first things you're taught is that you're going to have to accommodate everyone in different ways. So that's not even special. It's not even just uh, exclusive to the disabled community. You're Everyone learns differently, and you're going to have to accommodate people in a plethora of ways. Um, so special needs, what about, um, what about handicapped and what about, um, even like wheelchair verbiage? What are some things that are, are incorrect or what are some things that are kind of commonly misused? I think personally, just talking about wheelchair bound, I became a wheelchair user while following very, very empowering women that are in wheelchairs, very successful women that are in wheelchairs and, they immediately said, no, you're not bound to it. When you're bound to something, you're stuck to it. It's holding you back. Before I got my wheelchair, I was bed bound for two years. I could not leave my bed. I was physically bound to it because of pain. I could not even sit for more than 10 minutes. When I got my wheelchair, I'm like, I'm not bound to this thing. This is literally launching me into freedom. It is. I'm forever grateful for it. I think Handicap is one I go back and forth with in terms of saying like a handicap placard. I feel like that teams, tends to be the more the normal way that we've all grown up saying it. But yeah, there's not um, we don't really have a replacement word for that yet. Well, yeah, you could say um, accessible parking and accessible bathroom stall. Oh, that's probably better. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think it definitely there is a great shift happening still. I mean, even what decades after this disability revolution happened to push right. for this these equality i cannot believe that just a couple of years ago within my parents lifetime that there weren't accessible bathroom stalls you had to drag your ass into a regular little stall like right but i went to school and there was always a big stall in the bathroom there was always right. ramps to get into things and i'm so so grateful to be growing up in this generation where it's not perfect per se, but mm-hmm. there are definitely measures actively being taken to make some changes at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and can I ask, do you happen to know the year or the the Oof. roughly the year of when that happened? If not, I can literally just Google it because I'm curious how recent that is because I think it's always interesting when you research history. Yes, so it was um, um, signed into law in 1990 by President George Bush. Um, I know that they they were um, fighting for it for many years before that, even, and it did take a long time for it. It sat for a while, and yeah, I was born eight years later. Like I was 99. Wild. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. I I uh. Oh my gosh. Wow. I was thinking seventies or eighties is like what, where my brain went. Yeah. That is very late. That is very late. That is very, very late. So I guess the, once again, segue into, uh, I guess I could just segue without saying segue. That's probably a little no, bit you more, definitely have to more say natural. It's a fun word. I feel like it, like, I, I don't know. I feel like it clarifies it. Um, how is the world built for able-bodied people? Because I think that unless you have experienced not having a body that can uh, just do anything a body can do, you're not necessarily going to know ways that it's not 
built for people who even specifically, I think wheelchair users, it, there tends to be like a lot of hiccups with that. Um, what are some ways that it stands out the most that someone who has never been in a wheelchair might have never noticed? Yeah. So for me, definitely, I started becoming a wheelchair user during the pandemic, like right before it started. So a lot of my experience is not being out in the everyday world, you know, like I, Mm. I'm just now after I've been vaccinated, like starting to get back into the world, but just little things like a single step into a restaurant or a store, you know, just if I have, I have to research a place before I can even commit to going to it. Because if I cannot get in, I'm lucky to have a manual chair. So it's not a powered chair. So it's light enough to be lifted. But if one of my friends who has a fully electric hundreds of pounds wheelchair, it can't be lifted. So they're just stranded outside. And then everyone in the party will go in and you're just stuck outside. So, right. I mean, simple things like steps that could easily just be a little tiny ramp, or you could just get a little rubber. They make these little rubber ramps that just go right up to it and you can roll right in. Things like doorways aren't big enough. I have a video of me on my Instagram where I'm doing the hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it, get it, get it. And I'm just ramming into my door frame because there are nice. chips. There nice. are chips in my doorway because my chair is the exact width of my door. So I hit right. it. If I go a little bit too close, I cannot get in all the way. So my poor father looking at all of our chip door frames. Yeah. So that's another one. I mean, things like bathrooms. I am lucky enough to get into my bathroom. Many friends are not and have to drag themselves on the floor to get into a bathroom. Things like hotels. You have to book a specific suite that's wheelchair accessible. And if it's taken, then you have to better luck next time. Right. That was the one that I was thinking about was like, I know my apartment complex only has like a few ADA units. And it's like, (laughs) if people don't think about that either, is like, if you're moving, if you're moving into an apartment you would need an ADA unit and you would need a unit where for people who maybe haven't been in a unit that is ADA. First of all, they're even, they're not even that accessible or at least the ones that (laughs) I have seen, they're not typically like great. Um, But you know, there's like railings in bathrooms and there's Mm -hmm. um, areas under counters that are like hollowed out so that you can wheel under the counter and not be like stuck like a yeah. foot from the counter trying to reach the sink or cabinets. Mm-hmm. Everything's a little bit lower. Like washer and dryer are not stacked. Um, yep. But even you that, it. it's like if you, if, if you can't reach the top of a dryer, which sometimes yep. they are quite tall, what do you do? Like it's even, even those are not typically, the doorways aren't wider for one. The doorways are the same, or at least the ones that I've seen, the doorways are not mm-hmm. wider. So it's like, it's still not ideal. There's like, it's better, but like, you know, imagine how hard that would be to be hunting for apartments. And like, it's not that you just have to find an apartment that's affordable and that's in your location or whatever. You also have to make sure that there is an ADA unit even available because you can't just- And they're oftentimes not even truly accessible. I have friends that they will look at an apartment listing. It says successful. I have a friend that's gone to six different apartments in the past month. And couldn't fit down the hallway and they're listing it as accessible because they're trying to sell it, obviously, and they want to list it as that. So you just buy it on scene. Well, they're also not always on the first floor, which I don't understand that because if the elevators go out, uh, 
what do you do? Like you cannot get into your home. Um, another one is sidewalks. Sidewalks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if there's, I, if there's not like the little curb cut out to get up, you're stuck. You're stuck. And we're yeah, practicing I, the sidewalk. I've hit them and almost launched out of it. Yeah. I, I took a class that was, unfor- we've talked about this a little bit, but I've took a class that was unfortunately labeled as a special ed class. There wasn't another uh-huh. term for it, but I was an education major and our professor was talking about like, imagine getting on a sidewalk and like, there is no little ramp, uh, you know, the, the part that's slanted where you would roll down. Yeah. There is none of that. And you're trying to get to where you need to go. And now you cannot because now you are stuck. Like it's like it's there's so many different things that can. And it's it's just that the world is not built for people who aren't neurotypical, able-bodied, white, straight, cis. Like it's just like <laughs> unless you fit that, all those qualifications, like the world is kind of just you're constantly battling against the way that the world is built, which I can imagine is just wildly frustrating. Oh, yeah. I mean, even my college campus, I have a friend who uses a walker and a wheelchair. And the class, you're registered through the disability office. They make sure your class is accessible. And if it's not, they're supposed to technically move it to the entire class to an accessible room. But she rolled into or walkered into her one of her classes and rolled when she's in her chair and had to be completely in the back of the room. Everyone was seated down because it was a lecture style and it wasn't accessible. No. So she didn't even have a desk. Like she was just by herself up in the corner, not even participating. It's it's like a separate, literally a separate but equal type of thing. Like, no, you're yeah. still in the class, but you're not actually in it. You're in the way back in the corner. It's it's horrible. Horrible. Right. Right. Um, and I think that ableism has been something that has been talked about a lot more in the media recently. Um, specifically, well, let's talk about media because Hmm. I think that a lot of the times the way that people get their assumptions and their models of things are from TV movies, you know, and we've talked about this a little bit. The representation is not great. (laughs) Yeah. Even when it comes down to wheelchair users, the only one I can remember was on Glee, and he wasn't even a disabled actor. He did a whole scene where he stood up out of his chair and tap danced in a quote-unquote fantasy scene. Like, yeah, I and just, the, the, the amount of things out. they... Oh, my God. The things they did to Archie in that show, there is an entire montage of, like, ways <laughs> that they essentially made fun of his disability. There is one where they're all doing a line up against a pool and they dive in and they straight up shove Archie into the pool in his chair. Like just roll him into the pool as like a hee hee. Like yeah. we just like push the kid in a wheelchair like into the pool. And it's like, um, pause. What? Um, and the, only, the only other one I can think of is, um, Oh shit, I can't remember the name of it. it it's the one with um the um young boy uh has ALS, I believe, and is in a, a motorized chair and has a um communication device. Okay. I don't know. And um it's oh my god. 
it's a, it's actually, it's a great show and they actually do a decent job, but that was only, that's recent. That's been within the past, like, I'm going to say three years, I think. Oh, and, I know what you're talking about. Um, he's an actual actor that has cerebral palsy and this character yes. has cerebral palsy. He's verbal in real life, but I do. Yeah. Right. Right. I, he's in. Yeah. That I, is a I little appreciated bit sketchy. it. Yeah. And, but even that is like, uh, cause he, there is there, even that the, the not hiring actors, to portray you actually people. use yeah right because he he mimics not being able to speak and making like grunting noises and things like that where it's like even that is problematic why not hire an actor who, who is not living with that disability yeah right and is actually like accurately using their communication device like why why not show that um so i know we've talked about in the past about just how harmful that's been and even how harmful that has been to your personal life. Because a lot of the times people's only method of education has been what they've seen in the media. Um, What do you think are kind of, I don't want to say some of the worst things, but like, why do you think that has been so harmful and how do you think people can kind of correct some of those like poor assumptions or the stereotypes that they kind of have in their brain that they've TV has, you know, influenced and uh, encouraged. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think people are doing, they're not following people with disabilities. They're not making their media, not just, you know, the size two white models that everyone follows. They're actually, they're not following people of communities they're not a part of. I think that's a huge thing. And I know for me, a lot of times when people in my life have even seen me, they've been like, oh, every time they see me, how are you doing? Like in the the little downturn voice, like, oh, how are you doing? And oh, well, like, are you getting better? How far can you walk? Like asking all of these things. And Oof. I think it's because I I didn't necessarily have an injury that was like right off the bat, everyone knows this is going to be permanent for Claire. It was more of like, now I'm going on a few years of still dealing with this. And people are now right. starting to realize like, oh no, this is her reality now. And she's adapting to it. Like if you're asking me, oh, how are you? And I say like, I'm good. How are you? Like a normal conversation and move on. But most of the time when I see you, I'm already dealing with pain. And the more we talk about it, the more it's going to make me focus on it and the worse it's going to feel. When I'm seeing right. someone, especially in a pandemic, when you're not seeing right. anyone, right. the last thing I, if I'm bringing up pain and talking about it, I'm, I'm in charge of the conversation and the discussion about my body. Yes, That's the yes. important part. Like I'm introducing the topic to the conversation, then let's talk about it. But if yeah. I'm clearly avoiding the topic, it probably means I'm in pain and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> right. And it's just your, your personal life. I mean, yeah. Um, we talked about this in the last episode, but like, think about a traumatic experience and I'm talking to the listeners, think about a traumatic experience that you've had. Um, it may not be something that is visible to the eye, but if someone walks up to Claire who doesn't know her or who doesn't know her well enough to be inserting themselves into her personal life in the way that they are and start asking her questions of like, how did you get in this wheelchair? Like what, what is like how, how, you know, what happened? Uh, for me, we compared it to my sexual assault. <laughs> like imagine if someone randomly was just like, Oh my God, how did you get assaulted? 
I'd be like, bitch, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I'm not here to talk about that. Yeah, please do not. Like, not appropriate. Um, and, uh, you know, let's let me introduce yes. that yes. when I want to introduce it. Um, not when you want to introduce it. And like you said, that you don't ever want to ask. And that goes across the board just for any any human ever. Um, uh, just let people introduce their own experiences to you and um unless it's something where you know with the podcast i've talked about my sexual assault a lot yes and i'll have people dm me and say like thank you so much for like sharing your experience that's a lot different than someone walking up to me or dming me and saying oh like well how exactly did it happen it's like okay well we don't you don't need to know that like if i want to share that with you that's my choice but that's something that I have control over my own story. And like you said, like I have control over my own body. And when I want to talk about it, um, and you mentioned the downturned voice drop. Oh, it's so bad. Right. Mm. So let's, let's move into that. Um, and, um, we talked about this the last time we recorded, um, inspiration porn sigh (laughs) so um for those of you who have never heard that term um essentially that just means that you are taking someone else's experience and you're looking at it as like a oh how unfortunate that they had to go through that but it's such an inspiration to me to keep living my beautiful life and if if they can do it then i can do it because they are just like so much lower on this, on this, uh, you know, ladder than I am. Mm-hmm. And they're so much less fortunate. And if they can get up every day and keep living their life, then, you know, I can do it. And it was very popular on like <laughs> Tumblr, Pinterest, oh, Facebook. Yes, yes. Specifically like in the 2010s. Um, oh, I feel you. But it still happens in a less public media setting. I think it happens in everyday conversations. It happens in people's brains when they just look at someone with a disability and they immediately start to pity them. Um, so as someone who I'm sure has gotten a lot of that bullshit, um, why is that harmful? And we've talked about empowerment. Like what's the difference between inspiration and empowerment and how are those two different and why is it important to know that difference? Yeah, no, uh, it's, that's a great question for me. Like I've said, verbiage and language is extremely important and I'll just give you an example. I posted a video of me dancing to a song and I had on a blazer with a black bra and black high-waisted faux leather pants. And I was feeling myself. I had, I had heels on. Did I need heels on at four o'clock in the afternoon by myself? No. But did they make me feel like a powerful, badass woman? Yes. Right, right. And so I was like, it was part of the character. I was feeling myself. So I post this video. Great. Done. And then I just started getting these comments. Wow, you're so brave. This is so inspirational. Wow. I, the fact that you could do this Like, I could never do this coming from an able-bodied person. And people don't realize the harm in those comments. But from someone who does have a disability and is in a marginalized community in that sense, 
it comes off as harmful. Like I am lower on the tier than them. And they're saying like, wow, if she can do it way down there, then I should be able to do it from up here. And it's like, exactly. Okay. There's, I understand the intention with it, but when people, my friends comment like, wow, this is so badass. You look incredible. Like, wow. It's, I don't want to be just an inspiration. I want to empower women to be like, damn, Claire's working it. That I should go work it too. Like I should go love my body. Right. I, I should love my stretch marks and my scars and my cellulite. Like this is what makes me me. It makes me a human. And I should embrace that. I should feel empowered by this. I want to empower people. I don't want to simply inspire them because they expect less of me because I have a disability. There it is. Yep. And that's a perfect way of explaining it is the expectations are lower. So when you just meet average expectations of just being a normal, like just average human being, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe they got out of bed in the morning. What an inspiration to me. And it's like, they, they got out of bed. Like the thing that you do all the time. Why are, why is that an inspiration to you? They got out of bed. Like, and people just cope with the cards that they're dealt. Like everybody does that in different ways. Like you might have childhood trauma that you're coping through on a normal basis. And like, you're just dealing with things that you, the cards you were dealt with that you didn't, you know, you you don't have a say in that. You're just kind Mm -hmm. of, everyone's adapting and everyone's trying to be resilient. And it's not like more inspirational or less inspirational for people to just live the lives that they're trying to live. Like yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's harmful. not. Yeah. It's harmful definitely um, for the image of our community. And definitely like if I'll see someone in a wheelchair that got married, they applaud the spouse saying like, thank God she oh found God. such a brave and kind and accepting person like you. Like I shouldn't feel lucky that I found someone just because I have a disability and others won't accept me and they will. It's the mindset of all of it. It's so toxic and we are taught it. This is why it's it's so so hard to teach your kids. It's so hurtful. Think about if you are someone who is able-bodied and you've never experienced that type of, honestly, just like patronizing language. Like think about how, how hurtful that would be to hear someone applaud your partner for like, being loving you so yeah like how how absolutely and it's not even just like offensive like that's hurtful that that would hurt that's not just like oh I'm offended that would hurt if I ever heard anyone like applauding my partner for being with me because I'm mentally ill I'd be like um what the fuck like excuse me that's not cool please don't do that like my feelings would be so hurt and like and I keep referring back to my mental illness because a lot of times you do have to kind of try to find something where you may understand a little bit yes. and try to relate it to some experience that you've had because you're, you're you don't you're not going to understand the full experience and you never will unless you have that experience. But a lot of times the way that humans get closer to empathy or to just understanding is trying to relate, and that's okay. But like once again, like you're going to want to try to center people who have lived that experience. Like that's the most important thing. Um, and yeah, it's frustrating for sure. I mean, I've even just like people relating, I yes, relate to me in the way you can, but also I get comments saying I was in a wheelchair for two weeks when I broke my leg. I know how you feel. And that's also how you feel. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's just like a rule of thumb. Just like, don't say it. Um, 
I've never in my life been going through something and I've had someone say, I know how you feel and had that made me feel validated. (laughs) Every time I'm like, no, you do not. Please don't say that. Like, no, you don't. Even, even within the realm of like, even another disabled person is not going to know exactly how you feel. 100%. Even if you go within the same uh, generalized experience, no one knows what it feels like to live your human experience other than you. So anytime it's okay to try to relate to people, but like, you're going to want to keep trying to center the fact that you don't understand entirely and you never so will. Listen, and there, just listen. Yeah, listen. And there's not shame in that. There is no shame in not understanding someone's human experience. There's shame when then you try to make assumptions and judgments and um, you try to co-op or like take over that person's community or experience or whatever. But there is no shame or no, uh, it's not bad or icky to like not know someone's human experience. That's okay. That's totally fine. Just be mm-hmm. conscious of trying to learn about it and educate yourself yes. so that you are kind and just just be kind. <laughs> I don't think there's more than that. I to add to that. Um, yeah, just be kind. Like it's anytime that someone, if, if you relate it back to yourself, anytime that anybody tries to understand you better in any context, it's going to make you feel more valued and it's going to make you feel more loved and it's going to make you feel more seen. And that goes across the board. That can be having a fight with someone and they try to seek to understand why your feelings are hurt. It's going to make you feel valued. And so there's so the dishwasher is like really ruining the dialogue here. It's making a real loud stream. I feel noise. the power between you and um and, and the, the dishwasher. Yeah, it's 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 like really really doing its thing. I put it on like a boost cycle, so it's like <laughs> this is this it's it's been going for 160 minutes. Um, this is the most accurate like background noise for our conversations, though. Like just yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think it's just like you. You're gonna, people are so often like, oh, everyone's trying to be politically correct. Everyone's trying to like be so sensitive to people. No, we are trying to understand people so that they feel valued. That is literally what any person wants, period. In any situation in their life is to feel valued and seen and loved and like appreciated in, are you okay? Sorry, Stevie's having a meltdown behind me. Um, She's kicking me in the back. Um, you just want to feel loved and understood. There's so much value in feeling understood. There is, it's not, you're not being a snowflake to try to understand people's human experiences. You're being kind and you're just trying to like under, why why are we so, why are we so offended by trying to understand someone else? Yes. When people are like, oh, you're, you're just so politically correct. I'm like, no, I just want to talk to someone in a sense where they feel the most heard and understood like literally exactly. even just asking pronouns and people are like oh my gosh well why would you do that why would you like offer your own pronouns like because it gives the person the opportunity for me to address them in the way they want to be addressed and feel the most comfortable being addressed that's why yes like, it just helps you understand out. other people and make them feel like they are uh worthy of being understood i think that it comes down yes. to a worthy thing too we're so often minorities or um groups that are marginalized there there's a there is this sense of you're inferior to the rest of us yeah and that has been happening for so long that so much of this work of trying to flip that narrative is simply trying to like emphasize the worth of human beings at their core despite the differences that we may have 
like you're still just as worthy and valued as I am, period. And I'm I'm trying to expand my my education and understand and learn so that I can help you feel worthy and use language yes. that makes you feel valued and worthy and use terms and help the world to, you know, start to transform in a way that shows that you are important. Even if that's just like improving sidewalks. Like that's, it's intentional. It all comes down to intentionality. And it helps everyone. It's not hindering you to not take a step down. It's helping parents with strollers, people that use older people use walkers, young people that use walker people use wheelchairs, people that cannot physically take a step up, but can walk. Like it helps everybody just make the accommodations. It's not hurting you. It's not. It's not. not. Also, strollers i'm a nanny that shit can suck (laughs) when you're trying to like i've almost shot my child out of a stroller when i go over like a a crack in the sidewalk i have almost shot a two-year-old out of a stroller and tipped the stroller over on top of him because there was like a huge like gap that i did not see it's 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 or you could trip like there's it's not we're, we're just making sidewalks better like it's 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 a safety thing and it's not hurting anybody and we could probably go into all the different communities of ways that you can help understand and oh. uh, just, you know, that the I literally have a quote on my wall that says if, if, um, <laughs> I just forgot the quote. Um, oh no. Go, go that, to the wall. <laughs> no, I'm like, I was literally was about to go get up. So I was like, it's behind me. Um, it's the whole, like, if you have a something, something, build a longer table, not a higher fence. Oh yeah. I don't remember the first part of that quote, but I feel like that's the gist of it. And it, it yeah, why why would you want to exclude people? Why? Mm-hmm. Why? You're not hurting you're not, so not hurting yeah. you. You're just being a dick. Because you're not the center of attention anymore. I think no. that's where You're goes. just being a dick. You're just being a dick. Thinking about you, others is a beautiful thing. Yeah, and honestly, like and I'm not trying to sound judgmental, but I kind of am. You're being <laughs> a dick. There's literally like no way around that. If you are so focused on wanting to have as much power in your hands as physically possible that you can't try to see the world in the eyes of someone else, you're just being a dick. Period. Like there's really not much to that. You're just being selfish. And like that's something that you need to do some inner work. Like that's, we need to, we need to take a peek at ourselves and see why we're being this way. Um, but I think we should go back to the inspiration porn thing, because I think sometimes people have a hard time with the idea of, oh, well, they did inspire me. I did feel inspired. And I think, right. And so I think what would, what would you say? We talked about this before, but what would you say to, you even talked about the beginning, the fact that a lot of these viewpoints, a lot of these really harmful narratives you even thought about yourself, even mm-hmm. once you became disabled, like it was, mm-hmm. you were, you already had these things like bred into you. So for someone who's maybe listening and maybe feeling a little twinge of guilt of like, Oh shit. Like I've totally viewed people like that before. Um, how, what advice would you give to kind of help correct that narrative? Because a lot of times it is something that we're kind of just taught and yeah. is bred into us by society and by culture. How do you start to reverse that and start to grow as an adult and kind of challenge some of those thoughts? Uh, Listening to disabled people, following disabled people on social media, reading books by disabled people, watching podcasts by disabled people, listening to people that are outside your realm of expertise, I think is the biggest thing. Even for myself, when I became a wheelchair user, I was like, my first first intention was, I need to now go and follow people that empower me who live 
you know, life, very full lives that have disabilities. So then every day when I'd go on social media, I didn't see just those people from high school and middle school that I followed all these years making me feel bad about myself because they're achieving the dreams that I had growing up. And it's looking a little bit different for me now. I have to go at a different pace than them. I have to do things in an accommodating way for myself. So for someone who's not disabled, go follow some badass disabled people on social media and you'll very quickly realize, oh shit, they're exactly like we are as as parents, as you know, professionals, as nurses, as doctors, as all these different things, you know, like it's, we're disabled people are people. We're not monsters. We're not, you know, some spectacle to be stared at at the mall. We're just people that want to live full lives just like everyone else does. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing. Just maybe don't stare at people. If you, if you, if you catch yourself staring, try not to, <laughs> um, that's a hard, it's hard. It's hard when you, especially when you're not exposed. I had no one in my life, yes. uh, who was disabled. I grew up in a very small, uh, closed off, you know, sheltered environment. And so it's hard when you see things that are different from what you see on a normal basis. And I think that's why if you have social media, like learning to expose yourself can be so important because the more that you expose yourself to just different kinds of people, the more that's going to normalize diversity just in your mind. And it's not going to be as jarring when you see someone in a wheelchair on the street. It's not going to be as, oh, I haven't seen that before. You have seen it before because you've chosen to expose yourself to that, which is it's just truly just, it's just broadening you know, your lens, you're just diversifying your lens a little bit and just having more people that aren't carbon copies of yourself on your feed. Absolutely. Um, like I even created a tab or a highlight on my Instagram saying it's a little wheelchair icon to follow because people ask me like, Hey, I found you on the explore page. And I realized I don't follow anyone else with disability. Who do you recommend I follow? I just point them over to that and they can click through a bunch of people with a bunch of different disabilities and truly get a broad range so that you don't just hear my perspective and look at my life. And that's the only right. person of disability, you know, you can look at all of these people's lives and be like, oh, like disability is just as wide in personalities and demographics and people and ages as the rest of the world is. Right. Right. Yeah. And I will, I will, um, I will link all of those uh, you know, social media, social media influencers, creators, I'll, I'll link all those people as well, because I do that. I mean, that's been drastic for me in all aspects. Like that's been Mm -hmm. drastic for me exposing myself to more queer people. It's been drastic exposing myself to people who have different body types than me. Cause I grew up with such a, you know, like many other people's just, you know, a narrative where you're, you're highlighting very thin bodies. And so it's amazing even how healing it can be where you really do start to do some inner work when you are just exposed to different types of people and you learn so much too, because it's like, there are so many different perspectives in the world. It's amazing how intelligent people are (laughs) and how the more that you expose yourself to people, the more you're just like, Oh my goodness, I had no idea. And like, Oh my goodness. And I love hearing this person talk and I learned so much from them and I love hearing this person talk. Um, And it can have so many different 
Oh, sorry. It just helps oh, no, so go. many different professions. I've had teachers, parents, OTs, PTs, nurses, doctors reach out to me, therapists, parents, everyone just reach out to me saying like, hey, I never viewed this as that way. I viewed like we've talked about before when you're taught to treat people with disabilities a certain way in school, you're not being taught most of the time by a disabled person how it actually feels to receive patient care as a person right. with a disability. Like it's right. it's a lot different. So it, even if you don't have a disability, it's helpful to follow because you never know what you're going to pick up along the way. Right. And once again, like at the end of the day, you don't you don't have to do any of this. You don't. You can keep in your own lane and just keep your eyes on yourself. But I do think it just comes down to if you are someone who wants to try to live your life as full of love and kindness as physically possible, which I really do hope that that is the majority of people. I hope that that is something that the majority of people aim for. Um, that's at least my goal as being a human is just, I just want to try to be as kind as possible. Um, it, it's, it, I think it's just a step towards that. I think the more that you understand different human experiences, the, just the better that you can love those people. I really do think it just comes down to that. Like the, the more you understand someone's experience, the better you can love them. The more, once I experienced sexual assault, the more I realized so quickly how shitty I had treated survivors in the past and how often I slut shamed people. And that was a huge turnaround for me where it was like, holy shit, I've made so many people feel like bad and I haven't loved them well. And the more that you just expose yourself to different ways that the way that you've acted or said things have hurt people, you can turn that around. And there is always time to turn that around. There is always time to learn more. And hi, that is the whole point of this podcast. At the end of the podcast, (laughs) I always say like, there's, there's always, you know, there's always time to be mindful about things. And in my mind, uh, mindfulness is just a method of intentionality. And I really do think it all comes down to being intentional. Um, and I want to kind of end on, your page focuses a lot on like empowerment within specifically your sexuality and with being more sensual and being more like embracing being sexy. And I want to talk about that a little bit because that's something that for one is I don't think I have ever seen it represented in media for someone in a wheelchair to like embrace their sexiness. And I know that's something that's just really drastically important to you. why is that important? And why is it important to see someone in a wheelchair um, dancing, dancing in like lingerie like outfits? Like, why is that an important thing for you to show to your audience and to normalize? Uh, I began to feel empowered after following other disabled women and people that were doing that. That was my first exposure to it. And then I was thinking about you know, dancers that I have seen that do own their bodies, that do, they're feeling themselves. And I was like, when did I lose touch of that? When did I, when was the last time that I really just loved and appreciated my body? I was in survival mode for so many years that I think it became me fighting tethered cord and fighting my body. And the second I was able to realize I needed to start working with my body and working with tethered cord and how, you know, managing it versus fighting it, fighting it because (laughs) medically I can't fight it anymore. It is now just management. So like, why am I 
why am I still in this survival mode of like, just get through, just get through, just get through. Like, don't think about this. Don't think about your body. Don't, you know, don't like own your body as much. Just keep going, keep going. Uh, I, I just, the second I let that go, it was less like I, I felt my body for the first time again. I looked in the mirror and I've never looked in the mirror and felt shameful or bad or ugly about my scars. I have a big pain medication pump implanted inside my stomach. Like my body does not look like the traditional dancer body, like the traditional model body, like the traditional anybody. So I had to look in my mirror and see like, God, this body has gone through so much and it's still here today. It's still moving. It's still adapting. It's still growing. I need to find complete gratitude for it and embrace that more. And the second I was able to project that out, other people were able to see that in themselves as well and feel empowered by me owning my body and appreciating my body. Because we do look at disability as like, wow, what a shame that your body looks that way and doesn't function right. Like it's, it's a, it's a bad thing that it's doing these things, but like, God, we're given one body and I don't want to live my whole life in fear of it and in hatred of it. I've got one chance at this. I'm in my twenties and I'm only going to have my twenties once. And I want to grow really strong roots during this time in self-love and body empowerment and body positivity so that for the rest of my life, like no wind, no hurricane can push my tree over. Like I'm going to be grounded here forever. And how fucking beautiful is that? Like our, our bodies are so resilient. Our minds are so resilient. How absolutely wild that our bodies just like bounce the fuck back and like in different ways, like everybody's bodies bounce back in different ways, but it, it, I know exactly the feeling that you're talking about. And I just did exactly what I told everyone not to do. I don't know exactly the feeling they're talking about. I'm going to correct myself there. I, I am feeling though. Yeah, no, but I'm feeling like a feeling that I felt a while ago Mm -hmm. with a similar experience where that aha moment of, Oh my God, I don't love my body or my brain or myself anymore. And that like aha moment of that shifting of your, of the lens from viewing it as instead of this like crutch of like, cause mine is my brain. It's not my body. It's my brain. Mm-hmm. And I would be at odds with my brain and I would like be, you know, like, like yes. in a, in a ring with my brain of like, fuck, like work correctly, like pull it together. Let's go. And I remember that aha moment of just like, damn, like you have been through so much and there's been so much trauma that you've had to endure. And the fact that we are still alive and we're kicking, like, it was just like, go, go you brain. And like a little pat on the back of like, good job, buddy. Like you did it. And it, it's a very, it, it is a very like, once again, it's, it's an empowering thing to view other people doing that because it's such a euphoric feeling of being able to shift that lens and view your, your body or your brain as your friend and not as your enemy of something of like, Hey, we're on this journey together and we're working together to get through this compared to like, fuck, why aren't you working? Like get it together. Let's go. It's so much different when you shift that viewpoint of like, no, we're a team and we're going through shit together, but we're a team and we're going to do this together. Um, I quite literally have back in my body tattooed on my hand of like a little ode 
to that specific journey of just like being able to reorient myself with my brain and kind of walk hand in hand with my brain instead of like punching and fighting the whole way. Um, wow. That's, anybody, that's huge. <laughs> if anybody needs an example of inspiration versus empowerment, this is that I'm not pitying her. <laughs> I'm being, Oh, how, Oh, how sweet that you were able to do yeah. that. It was a, it was like literally as you're speaking, I feel this euphoric feeling in my heart of like, Oh, I know how that, like how it feels to just like reorient myself and be friends with myself again. And like, and it, it even kind of makes you want to like, cr- like, you know, it, it is a constant reminder. It's not just like a one-time shift. It's a constant reminder of like, I, there's so many times when I'm having a panic attack or I'm having a depressive episode it's this week, actually specifically of just like me being pissed at my brain of just like, dude, get it together. Like I, I just need to get through a week. And it, it is a constant thing where you're just having to kind of remind yourself like, uh, no, like, you're doing your best. And I think everybody's doing their best. Everybody's body is doing their best that it can. Everyone's brain is doing the best that they can. You're doing the best that you can. I'm doing the best that we can. Everyone's yeah. trying. Yeah. Um, so I can, I can end it on, um, an awesome quote. My cancer taught me everyone. I was in group therapy and everyone was saying, um, I'm so broken. How could I, how am I supposed to love myself? I'm so broken. And she said, you know, even myself, I was like, I'm broken. And she said, no, Claire, you're not broken. You're just a little bit bent. When you're broken, you can't work anymore. When you're bent, you're still functioning. You just got to adapt the way you do it. And like, that's why I've applied to my whole life. I'm like, I am not a broken human being. I'm just a little bit bent. And sometimes I have to do things a little bit differently, but I'm still functioning and I'm still going. Yep. And there's nobody who's going to get to the end of this life and not be a little bit bent. Hell yeah. We're all going to be a little bit bent in different ways. And just because oh. you being bent looks different than someone else being bent does not mean that you are superior to that person. Um, a lot of people's struggles are struggles that are not visible. Yes. And that doesn't mean that you're better than someone who's, hmm. whose struggles in life are visible. Like, that's not what that means. It just means mm-hmm. that you have the privilege of being able to hide them better. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. And it is a privilege because you are, you are, you're, you're looked at differently and you do experience these different types of, you know, patronizing language and the shame when it, uh, when your different little ways of being bent, quote unquote, are, are more public. Um, but once again, like, let's just work to try to reorient our thoughts so that we don't view people as inferior or less than, or, um, pitiful. Yes. If they have an experience that is more public and visible to the mm-hmm. naked eye, like that doesn't make them any less than. Um, this turned into a much more soapbox episode than um, I was intending, um, but that's fine. Uh, no. <laughs> the last time we had this conversation, it was not a soapbox. It was a lot more goofy. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think it's important. It, Absolutely. It, there's, there's nothing that frustrates me more than people just like, not being kind and like not making the effort to be kind. <laughs> like it doesn't take Flat that much out. effort. We, we can all, we can all work on it. It's not that hard. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I will, Oh, Stevie has joined. She's awake from her nap. Um, I will, uh, for those listening, um, I would really, really, really encourage you to not only follow Claire, but to also follow the accounts that I will link in the episode notes 
of other uh, disabled individuals creators that you can follow. And if, if you've been listening to this and you've realized, ooh, my feed is not super diversified in that, in that you know, realm, take this as like a little call to action. And it's a very easy thing to go through a list of creators and just tap follow, 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 follow. Takes two minutes. And even just scrolling through your feed and seeing someone who is disabled every few posts or whatever, you would be amazed at how much that normalizes things. Um, so I will attach those. I'll also attach the movie that you mentioned. Awesome. Other than that, do you have anything to plug, anything to make us aware of, anything that we can kind of follow you through in your journey? And also, yeah. how do you spell your Instagram tag? Because that is Absolutely. also important. My Instagram is living with clarity and clarity is spelled C L A I R E I T Y. Cause my name is Claire. So yeah, I got to throw my name so in there. so clever and I'm obsessed <laughs> with it. <laughs> yeah. I talk about just about everything in my life, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the fun. You know, I don't take life too seriously when you've gone through a lot. You, you tend to take things and you know, humor is a coping strategy is all I'll say. So Definitely check me out and not in that way. You know what? No, you can check me out in that way. Not a creepy way, okay? Come on. In both ways. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I will uh I will tag Claire in the post uh that I always have the post that I post every week. I will tag her. Everything will be in the episode notes so that you can um follow and do all that lovely stuff on your own. Um I would also love to uh, include an organization and Claire, I'll chat with you off camera about this, but an organization that potentially um, aids disabled communities that if people would like to financially or monetarily support that there's an option for that as well. I think that so often we talked about co-opting movements, able-bodied people will like push certain organizations that might not actually be helpful to the disabled community. And that happens in a lot of different, you know, minorities and uh marginalized groups where people who are not marginalized will come in and say oh let's all give to this organization and a lot of times it's not helpful um so i will chat with you off camera and we can figure out an organization to pop on and if you have you know finances that or you'd like to monetarily give things to that as well that way there's another option for that as well because a lot of these things that we've talked about a lot of these accommodations a lot of these ways to make things more accessible they cost money and the way to make that change happen and make the world more accessible and more um, just equal for everybody is there's going to be a monetary uh, aspect to that. So if that's something that you are in a position to, you know, if you have finances to give, I will include that in the episode notes as well. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. Um, thank you. I love chatting with you. Um, we've, in total with both episodes have probably had about like four hours worth of conversation. (laughs) Um, you know, (laughs) I know we just, we're, we go on a roll. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. I would love to have you back on uh, another time because I think that we could probably talk about this stuff for hours and hours and hours. Um, but once again, uh, follow Claire, I will plug all of her stuff. Um, But that is all the time that we have for today. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please write us five stars on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also follow the blog on Instagram at Serafina blog and visit us online at serafinablog.com. And to end our time, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath, and remember, 
you can always learn, you can always grow, and you can always choose to live your life in a more mindful way. I cannot think of a better way to end this episode than with that. I will see you guys next week.